Welcome to Finding Your Identity, the podcast about helping you find your identity. Welcome back to Finding Your Identity. This is episode 22, and I want you to take a deep breath and don't be afraid because this show is going to be about phobias. And it's a scary thing to think about. So, that being said, hang in there and listen. And I'm trying to sound creepy to freak you out. I'm going to talk about clowns as a warning. One in particular, and probably not the one you'd think of when I say I'm going to talk about clowns, because this happens to be a different kind of clown story, but kind of the same. But it's chorophobia, which is the fear of clowns. And this episode is going to be about phobias and fear in general and how it can affect your life. So hang tight. So first things first, what is a phobia? You know, there's fear in general, which is when you're afraid of something. You know, it's a psychological condition. It's actually built into our DNA as a way to protect us from danger. There's actually a really good book. There's uh, a, a man named Gavin De Becker, I believe. And he wrote this book called The Gift of Fear. And, you know, a lot of the book was kind of covering how you can use fear to, to, equip yourself for life in a sense. And, you know, a lot of what he teaches is is based off of actual evidence that he's kind of gathered throughout the years. And he has a security, this security firm. And, you know, it's a lot that a lot of what he does is to train his employees or his security personnel and kind of leveraging what fear has to offer you. And, and if you consider secret service members, you know, or security details that are, are protecting anybody, whoever they're protecting, and they have to use their instincts to be able to guide them to know what to do in, in the case of some emergency, you know, or, or high tense situation where they have to they have to be alert, they have to act and react quickly. They have to be able to th- still think even though there may be very intense things happening around them, you know, they you know, they have to maintain composure. And so a lot of what that kind of uh, mind state is uh, or or what the book covers you know in terms of the mind state of being able to to take the the fear you're having and and utilize that to help build your defenses you know kind of is is leveraging something that's just part of your 
your nature, you know, because everybody feels fear and, and there may be varying degrees, but, you know, fear is one of those those traits that you have where you may feel, you know, very scared at, at, a, at a time where it doesn't make sense to, to feel scared, you know, and you have to kind of listen to those instincts because it it could really save you. You know, you could have this feeling you feel a little nervous or scared and you're walking around a corner and, and it all of a sudden this corner takes you down a dark alley, you know, it's, you know, the nightmare scenario, I guess, but you're going down a dark alley and you got this feeling, but the, the, the feeling that, that gut feeling that you might have might just be that you should listen to it and you should actually turn around and go back the other way. In order to make a good movie, they always have the character continue, even though they may even say out loud on screen, this doesn't feel right. This is a bad idea. I shouldn't go down this dark alley. Something bad's going to happen. Yet they continue to walk and then the knifing bandit jumps out and knifes them, you know? So that makes for a good movie. But in real life, you die. So you don't want to actually die. So that's why you should recognize the feelings and you should take those feelings and turn them, you know, into to something positive by creating reactions based off of it, essentially feeling that it doesn't feel safe. And okay, I'm going to go a different way. I'm going to go straight and turn at the next road that is really well lit. And the city must have just spent all their money on the cobblestone and the fancy street lamps there. And they just forgot about that other street that ended up turning into a dark alley where all the trash bins live and sewer rats and homeless people and knifing bandits. So it's just good to, to understand fear, you know? And, and I think, um, from, from what you can do to prepare yourself, I think it, a lot of it is, is mental. And for the most part, if you think about it, uh, a lot of, uh, of, what's i guess what's ma- making up the inside of you or what's inside of your brain is all it's all mental you know so it's hard sometimes but you got to be conscious of that and and you got to you got to learn to to cope with that and power through it and so i say you know cope with it and power through it and you know really kind of leaning back on that that concept of that book it's it's really using patterns from your past you know, and not only yours, but, you know, stories you may have heard, but essentially you might have experienced stuff in the past that made you feel this fear, right? So so you might be able to, to draw back on those experiences in order to actually make adjustments going forward, you know? So, so what you may have felt in that alley as fear... Let's say you did go down it and it was a close call. Like somebody jumps out. He does have a knife or her. I'm not going to be discriminatory or sexist. You know, there could be women knifers. And, you know, so the knifer guy or girl chases you and you get away. You know, you turn the corner and you run into a police officer and, and they arrest the person, you know, happily ever after type scenario. But your fear was genuine and your fear 
it, it was genuine enough that it'll stick with you. You're going to, you know, build a memory around that incident and you're not going to forget it. And that feeling that you felt, like even when you recall the memory, you know, you may actually feel that feeling again inside you. You pity your stomach will ball up and you'll feel the nervousness and, and, you know, you'll feel that fear again. Well, that's really going to help you for the next time, you know? So it's, it's kind of a good thing. It's a bad thing, but something good kind of comes from it, it especially if nothing really bad happened. Hopefully that's the case. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes the bad things actually do happen. And when they do happen, you know, it's it's probably, I have to imagine, worse. You know, I know an experience I had when I was a teenager and, you know, I, I kind of was doing something stupid and, you know, I was, I think I was 16 and and I was out with a friend and we were at a pep rally for, for high school and I was... Uh, a sophomore or a junior. I can't remember. Um, I think I was a sophomore and we were, yeah, cause it was in the fall, <clears throat> excuse me. And I remember that we were walking and there, uh, we had left the pep rally cause they had a bonfire, you know, it was, it was, I don't know, it seemed like a traditional pep rally to me. Maybe that's not, <laughs> not everywhere. I was living in New York at the time, upstate New York, but there was a bonfire and we kind of went off and, you know, we were kind of ingesting things we shouldn't have been. In. And so a little bit out of our, our normal states of mind and we were both walking and kind of just, you know, aimlessly going. I, I can't remember where we were headed, but I think we were heading to my friend's girlfriend's house who lived not too far from the school. We were going to go hang out there. And so we were walking up the street and, and there was a point in time when I recognized that there was a group of people. We were, you know, first it was just me and him and we were walking. But then, you know, I kind of looked back and then I recognized that we were kind of swarmed by a whole bunch of kids. And and and, and then it kind of turned into to something that was awkward, right? But I wasn't in my right state of mind, like I said. So I, I had a little bit of trouble deciphering that this was turning into a bad situation but I could still even through that fog still kind of feel like this isn't the best situation and somebody kind of came up behind me you know and there were you know there was like several uh black kids and and white kids and my friend was a was a black kid and he was friends with one of these kids who walked up to him and said hey what's up and they kind of you know did a dap you know, where they, they shake hands in the, that fun little way. And, you know, I, I grew up kind of in the hip hop generation in, in the nineties, you know, Tupac and Jay-Z and, and, and I was definitely into that, that crowd. And so I, I had that, you know, sense of I'm hanging out and I'm cool. Cause I'm hanging out like not the best neighborhood, you know, I was, you know, not, I didn't feel unsafe because I was with a, a kid that, you know, I was, I was pretty close friends with that lived down in this area, but you know, we were walking and it was, I think eight o'clock at night, it was dark and we just kind of got 
surrounded, but he kind of, he knew a lot of these other kids, but I didn't know any of them directly. I, I think I only knew a handful of them, but there was about 12 kids. And all of a sudden someone was reaching into my pocket and, and saying, I need money. And, and I'm just like, what do you mean? And I like, I like, I don't have money. And, and I, I always was at least smart enough to know that if I'm going to go out and wander around and not be in my right state of mind, I'm not going to carry much. Like I had, I had $5 bill on me. I didn't wear any of my jewelry because at the time I had a gold chain and gold rings and gold bracelets and, you know, I, I don't know, you got to look like, look like the culture wanted me to look like. So I was, you know, kind of smart enough to not dress like that, not not to keep any of that the valuables on me. I think at the time, you know, I, I don't even think I was wearing even really fancy shoes because... I used to, it used to be that my sneakers were the most expensive thing I walked around with, then my jeans, then my shirt, actually, no, then my jeans, then my hat, then my shirt, you know, kind of thing. And of course, whatever jewelry I was wearing was more expensive, but I'm wandering around the streets and I just knew eh, this could end bad. So I didn't have any of that stuff, but I was actually spending the night at my friend's house and I had all that stuff left at his house. So anyways, I was all of a sudden kind of consumed by this group of kids and kind of being pushed and first, you know, kind of getting taunted, called being called the white boy. And, you know, what are you doing around here? White boy. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, there's other white kids in your little group here, you know, but, but I also was kind of like, you know, you know, your friends with Aaron, like my friend, why were GB pushing me around? You know, he's cool. Like, I'm cool. We're all cool. Like, and I just was kind of trying to, to play it cool, but you know, one of them just decided to, to push me and, and one of them tried to take my, my jacket off. And that's when I took the $5 out of my pocket and I threw it up in the air and then I turned to walk away and they kind of, uh, started to kind of follow after me. And then somebody pushed me into another guy. And then that guy punched me in the head because I thought he thought that I was like attacking him, but I was like pushed and immediately that turned into the fight or flight. And I thought 12 of them. So flight, I need to choose. And I actually jumped over this six foot tall bush. (laughs) I sprinted and just hurdled this bush. And I was a fast kid. Like I was a skinny fast kid. So I took off running as fast as I could back to the school I ended up back near the school steps to the front of the school where I knew there was actually some security guards that were kind of patrolling uh, around the school. And I, I, I had my jacket behind me kind of flying like a cape or something because, but, but I was no superhero that night other than the fact that I managed to survive what might've been a really bad face pounding. But I, I managed to get back up there with my coat or my my jacket just hanging on one arm, kind of flapping behind me, because uh, they had tried to take the coat off as I, and grabbed it as I ran, and I just let it come out, let one of my arms come loose so I could continue running, and and they lost the grip of it because they were trying to hold me back, and and I I never really understood what was going on, but I stayed out there for for a good hour. My friend never came looking for me, and I was just nervous i thought they were going to come back for me they didn't know where i was i mean i mean my friend didn't know where i was i didn't really know where he was and i i was thinking they know like i ran this direction they're gonna 
come after me. I just didn't know what was going on. And after about an hour, I crept through bushes and hid behind cars. And I, I made my way all the way back to the house that my, my friend's house that I was staying at. And I got in the house. I got back downstairs because he his room was in the basement. And he's like, where have you been, man? And I'm like, what do you mean, where have I been? Where have you been? What happened? Like, you just let this happen, you know? And that was just a, a terrible experience. And then from that point on, though, it was really a lot of irrational fear came out of it, you know? And, and this kind of fear is the on the fringe of, of being, you know, having a phobia, you know, because, you know, phobias are, are often intense fear that really aren't, aren't a problem. You know, you're, you're afraid of something happening. That's, that's actually not really going to happen. So, you know, you've got this intense fear and you can't help but think that this is going to happen. And it's a very, very real feeling. You know, if you've ever been, afraid of a bug or a spider or something like that, and you've come across one because you walk through a web, you can't get the thought out of your head that the thing is on your back and you can't see it. And you're spinning around in circles like a dog chasing his tail, trying to get the spider off you, which doesn't even exist because you walked through the spider web and the spider wasn't even near the web anymore, you know, but in your head, this thing was the size of your, your foot and it was sitting on your back and it was about to sink its teeth down into your shoulder blade, you know, and that's in your head because you've built it up to be such a, a big thing in your head that, you know, you're thinking this is, this is what's going to happen, you know? And so I, I kind of ended up having this, this phobia, you know, where I, you know, I had this, this fear of being out in public with large groups, you know, of people because, I, you know, and the name of that's actually agoraphobia, you know, you're a fear of crowds and, and public places and open areas that that's agoraphobia. And I, I developed that because I thought, well, the last time I was in a crowd of, of people at night, something bad happened, you know, and before that I was fine. So it wasn't like something before that kind of triggered it. Like I could point back to that moment as when I all of a sudden became afraid just because it felt like I was just being ganged up on and, and people were, you know, out to get me as a group. And, you know, and to me, like even just, you know, four or five people would make me feel uncomfortable as a group. You know, I'd see a group of like skaters and, and it wasn't color-based like these are, you know, a group of, of white skaters or, or, you know, a, a group of of black kids you know who are just kind of hanging out on a stoop i mean i used to i lived in newburgh new york and the downtown area w it was pretty bad it was a pretty drug infested area you know and there were some some really sketchy sketchy areas and i'd, I'd walk around and, and you'd have you know guys hanging out on the steps and you know it it really got me to fear <laughs> even walking past them, I'd go take a different route, you know, and it, it took me, it took a long time and it took me kind of really trying to figure out because, because it was almost like I'd forgotten about it, but I, I knew it existed 
and it would always come up when I when the situation arose. So I'd be like, okay, I'm afraid of going out to this this thing, you know, because I'm afraid of the group of people that might be there, you know, and I, you know, I I think I think it's important to again have this personal re- retrospective that I mentioned in a couple episodes um, previous like where you, you actually have to take time to examine yourself and figure out why something is happening, you know? And so it it took years before I kind of could pinpoint that moment, even though I could remember it vividly, you know, I could, I could remember it was fall and I could remember, you know, it was, it was dimly lit and there were 12 of these kids and, and I could remember, you know, them reaching in my pockets and I can remember taking the jacket off and getting punched in the head and jumping a bush and and sprinting to the steps of the the school up a hill and all these things are vivid and they still stick with me you know but it it, it turned and turned into to a defense mechanism in essence where when I did go out like I kind of feel like I had a feeling I I, I kind of figured out when to to be afraid of it you know when and 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 to just rely on my body to tell me this is time to be it's time to be afraid you know it's time to to really embrace this fear and go in the other direction or change route or uh change plans you know but not to the extent where nothing happened you know it caused me to have anxiety and you know i mentioned i think um, I forget when, maybe it was in the reading episode, but about the, the book that I read that helped with anxiety, which was the, the 10 best managed, uh, anxiety management techniques. And, you know, that helped tremendously, you know, along with kind of seeing somebody and, and kind of getting prescribed something to help with anxiety. And, and it's, it's a tough thing and, and anxiety kind of deserves its own, episode or own separate discussion, you know, but in terms of phobias, they kind of can go hand in hand because the anxiety is this physical change in your body that's kind of just powering the phobia, you know, so you, you often have to kind of figure out how to work through something like this. And it's not easy. It's not like it's going to happen overnight. It's definitely something you need to work on and you need to think how can I work through this fear of spiders? You know, honestly, what made me get over the fear of spiders was having daughters who were afraid of spiders. And I had to be brave enough to go kill the spiders. And I did that enough times that I, I really don't have the same kind of fear I did or the arachnophobia, as that's the, the name of being afraid of spiders. I don't have the arachnophobia like I used to. Still get freaked out if a spider is on me for whatever reason, or I, I walk through a spider web and I get that feeling, the heebie-jeebie feeling that uh, it's on me and I can't see it, but I get over it pretty quickly. But, you know, before I wouldn't even, if I knew that there was a spider in a room, I wouldn't want to go into the room. You know, it, it was bad. I actually, it's funny. There's kind of a, a funny story early on when I first was dating my wife and not too long after I met her parents, I was over there, her parents' house, over her, their house, and they asked me to help move a couch. 
And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. That's cool. Um, I think it was in the basement. So I, I was on the bottom. So I was basically pushing. Uh, so we were taking the, taking it out, out of the basement. I think we got actually got it up and out of the basement, but we had to go up another flight of stairs to the second level and we were going up the stairs. And I, so I was at the base at the lower end pushing up and my father-in-law or, or soon to be father-in-law I should say, like he wasn't a father-in-law at the time ended up being my father-in-law. He was at the top and he was pulling. And my wife at the time when we were dating was behind me trying to help but really there wasn't a lot of room in the stairway and my soon-to-be mother-in-law was at the top kind of helping the same way where she couldn't really touch it but she was there for moral support they were kind of you know basically trying to make sure that if we fell they'd catch us or something well all of a sudden this huge spider like a spider that i could only picture as the size of a hamburger a, a one pound hamburger was crawling out of this thing and started to come up the edge of it and somehow I got so scared I went like under the couch and ended up at the top of the stairs next to my father-in-law helping him pull it (laughs) while my wife was down at the bottom pushing it uh because I I think I actually like pushed it up the stairs first to try to, to try to uh, you know, speed this process up while screaming. But essentially it was like, I, I tried to move the couch all by myself because I needed this situation to end quickly and nobody knew what was going on, but I was just freaking out. And, you know, they, they were all laughing at me and, and thought that it was just kind of hilarious that I was freaking out about this little spider, which they said was, you know, maybe the size of a dime. And I said, no, that was a hamburger. It was definitely, uh, a whole pound, you know, foot diameter spider. Like it had to be. I mean, that thing was was massive. It was like I, it would have covered my face. Like, but they they said insisted the thing would have maybe fit on my fingernail. But it was a very very tense uh, sensation and fear that hit me right then. Now I only seem to have embarrassed myself a little bit because it was understandable. I mean. Anybody who's kind of reasonable would understand somebody has a fear of whatever. And, you know, fears can be debilitating. You know, they could force you to just completely freeze up. It's I don't, It's not uncommon. I mean, it's just one of those things that, that we have to deal with as humans, unfortunately. But, you know, the thing that I think stands out you know, the most to me about them is how much control they can have over you. And often, you know, you're kind of fighting an internal battle because people, people may not realize it. It may not be outward. It may be that you're just constantly making excuses for why you don't want to go out because you're afraid. And, and that could be a major part of your identity there. That's unfortunate, you know, because you might lose friends that way. You might not find your mate in life because you're not going to be out there looking for them because you're staying inside. You know, there's obviously a big problem if if you don't want to leave the house because you're, you know, afraid of bad things happening. 
you know, and, and there was an interesting show or a great, I shouldn't say just interesting. It was an excellent show. I'm going to give it the props it deserves, but the show Monk just was really well done. And it, it kind of painted the picture that I think is deserved of somebody who kind of suffers from more than just fears because the, the main character, Adrian Monk, who's Monk as the title of the show is called Monk, you know, and, and Tony Shalhoub is the actor and he just does a fantastic job playing that, that character. And if you've never seen the show, it's, it's about this, this detective, ex-detective. He was a detective and he ended up unfortunately losing his wife. His wife was murdered and, and he ends up getting taken off the force because he looks to have had a mental breakdown. And then, you know, he still had this urge to solve the murder of his wife. And so he basically does what he can to try to get back out there because he was just an amazing detective. But it was like all of a sudden everything was enhanced with his his fears that he had, you know, several fears. Plus he had obsessive compulsive OCD disorder, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, but he had he had all these kind of irrational fears of things that prevented him from living a normal life, but which actually made him an excellent detective because it was like he needed to be hyper aware of everything because he was afraid of everything. It made him more observant. And so he actually was able to, to notice things at, at crime scenes, but also, you know, he had this ability to, to remember everything that was going on when he was at the crime scene, everything that he noticed and kind of draw back on that, you know, so it, it kind of made him an excellent detective, but it was fascinating to watch him play that character or, or to watch that character as he lived. And, you know, he, he had the OCD, so he had to touch something a certain number of times, which I think it was three times. And it, once he, once it hit him, it was kind of continuous and that's kind of the problem with OCD. So if he walked by something and he, he felt this urge to touch it, he'd touch it three times, but then he'd have to touch the point, pointy end of everything he passed for the next, you know, entire walk that he, he was walking somewhere the next mile or whatever. And he'd be sitting there and he'd touch, 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 touch. And, and you have, there's some comedy behind it because you're watching this and you just kind of laugh at it, but it's, it's a real life problem that, that people face, you know? So it's not a lot to laugh out in real life, but the character made you laugh because of, of who he was and, and how sometimes it would, it would delay. There'd be critical scenes where he needed to, to move quickly because they were in danger, but he had to touch the thing three times before he could leave the room. And so that often, you know, led, led to some, some comedy there being built up there. But, you know, it's kind of another, another example of phobias kind of controlling life. I mean, it's a good example of it, but eventually he kind of got better and he seemed to get better and better and improve. I mean, he wasn't completely cured by any stretch of the imagination, but, but he was able to actually, you know, hone it in and, and then, you know, leverage it to, to become, 
a good detective again, essentially to get to get back to being a detective by the end of the show. I hope it didn't spoil it for anybody. Uh, the show has been off the air for like ten years, but you know it's uh, it's a good show. It's even even knowing that that's where he ends up. It's still really good to watch because you know a lot of good things and the actors are are great in it. And it was on USA. And my my favorite USA show, which is Psych, followed that, which I actually got introduced to because I was watching Monk, and then that show came after it, and I started watching Psych, and I was like, oh, this show is great. And now I absolutely love that show. Like, I still go back and watch it, even though it's been off the air for like five years, but that's a sidebar. Now, I think it's uh, I think it's important to kind of recognize that this is a problem, but also you know, I think it's helpful to know what you can potentially do to try to help get over fears. There is treatment for phobias. I think it's considered a very treatable condition. And, you know, I, I have often turned to the the National Health Center and the Department of Health, I guess, is what it's called. But, but I, I often will look to to see what the, you know, the the authorities on the different health sciences, uh, behavioral sciences, psychological sciences, what they kind of say about it. And and from that perspective, and from their perspective, it's very treatable. It's often treated by just avoiding whatever you're afraid of, which can only go so far. I mean. I guess you could try to avoid spiders to some degree, but you'll never go to a haunted house. You'll never be able to to enjoy a, a walk in the woods if you think there might be spiders having, you know, nests, uh, not nests, uh, creating webs in the woods. It's, it's hard sometimes to avoid it, you know. Uh, flying is probably the... The, one of the bigger ones, you know, which um, flying is aviophobia. I'm like dropping these technical terms on you, so you got to pay attention throughout the episode. But, you know, that there's a big problem where people who are afraid to fly. Now, some, some people can just consider driving everywhere, but if you're trying to go across the ocean, I don't think you want to go on a boat. I mean, unless you're trying to make a point like that, that lady or that, that not even lady yet. She's, she's like a 13 year old girl. And, and this is in, um, this is in September of 2019, just for point of reference. And there's this world, uh, climate crisis council or something like that. It, it's, uh, you know, we're, where everyone's talking about climate change and, and the problems. And this this girl who's like 13 or 14 years old, maybe she's 16, I don't know, still a little girl. She came across the ocean on, a, on an energy-efficient boat or something like that. And I think it took her like half, half a year or something. <laughs> That's an exaggeration. I think it took like three weeks for her to get here, though. It took a long time. I mean, taking a boat across the ocean – when people used to go to Europe and the only way to get there was by boat, it would be weeks. They'd, they'd be on a boat traveling from the U.S. to Europe 
for weeks, you know. So you got to consider flying is the, the most practical means of transportation right now until they perfect teleportation, you know, because... I don't know. Teleportation's a little little funky. Sometimes you'll end up with somebody else's head on your body, but you know, oh wait, maybe maybe you're not supposed to know about that. Only I know about the secrets of teleportation and the experiments they've been doing. Anyways, uh, I didn't say anything. So, but you know, flying is is a necessity if you want to go on vacation or even if you need to travel for work. So, you got to get on a plane, you know, and you can't avoid it. You got to face that. You got to face the, that fear, you know, and, you know, the recommendation, there's a couple approaches that, that you kind of can, can take and it's therapy is the, the top of the list, starting with talking to a counselor and, you know, essentially trying to maybe through, through the therapy, isolate the problem. Like why, why did you end up, you know, feeling these feelings like how did how did this happen because maybe you flew until you were in your 20s and then there was some really bad turbulence on an airplane or something like that you know who knows whatever the cause was but all of a sudden you're afraid to fly and so you know talking through therapy that that could work you know that that just kind of talking through your problems and and figuring out you know getting to the root of them and figuring out why you're afraid of something there might be some of those kind of talking techniques that could could help, you know. There's um, cognitive behavioral therapy, you know. It, it's a it's a counseling, it's a form of counseling that helps you kind of to develop working methods for dealing with with whatever you're going through, you know. If um, if you sit down and you kind of talk about it long enough that it, it may be that your brain just needs convincing that it's irrational that the fear is irrational so you're able to actually talk it through and, and figure out how to kind of work through it you know so it, it's often kind of used as kind of a, a, a way to treat it also exposing exposing yourself to it maybe you know your first step is to just take a really short 30 minute flight somewhere and going through all the steps, learning to breathe, you know, learning to refocus your mind, you know, taking all the steps necessary to, to get yourself on that plane. Maybe you're accompanied by somebody, maybe your therapist or, or a family member, but they're, you know, holding your hand and, and they're teaching you how to distract yourself, like listen to music or do a crossword puzzle, read, whatever it is, you know, that might be just one way to actually get through it because they, you know, they can actually teach you to kind of work through that fear. Now, if it really is untreatable by those means, sometimes you can, you can get on medication, but it's, it's, it's usually not like there's a, you know, I'm no longer afraid to fly pill that you can get definitely not over the counter, but even by prescription, but it may be that you need to take some kind of anxiety pill, anxiety medication or antidepressants, you know, so it, it could just be that you need to, you need to take that step, but then you got to worry about the problems that you're going to have when, 
you know, there might be side effects to taking that medication. You, you know, if you do low dose anxiety medication, it may not be bad. I do that. I, you know, I take a, a somewhat mild anxiety medication, which I think the, the same medication can also be used to treat depression, but the dose it's in, it, it really just helps kind of let me focus and, and lower my anxiety about things. And, and it, it's kind of been a game changer for me. So I don't think, uh, I don't think it's a bad thing to kind of take something that's, that's not so much a toxin, you know, in your body, I guess is how I kind of view it. Yeah. Other options is you could, you could take something that would essentially knock you out as soon as you got on the plane. Maybe not the best recommendation, but you could take a sleeping pill, you know, but it, I mean, this, this is a method of, of handling sometimes handling it, you know, it, just kind of allowing you to sleep through the whole flight. And then you wake up and you get off and you're like, I did it <laughs> all by myself. I flew, you know, but you know, maybe that's just, just what you need to do because it, it just could be, that's the only way that you can really get through it. So I'd say that those are a couple things to explore if you're trying to find treatments. Some of the things that you could do without help uh, as self-help guides, I guess you could say, or, or, you know, ways to, to try to work through it just on your own. It goes back to some of the staples we've talked about before, you know, getting enough sleep actually will just give you a healthy mind. Getting enough exercise will give you a healthy body. It's, you know, eating properly, having a good diet, avoiding stressors, other stressors. You know, if you're, if you're being stressed out by something at work or at home or, or something like that, you know, maybe making a lifestyle change to kind of prevent that stress or to reduce that stress, that'll, that'll help to some degree because your phobias, your, your phobias are, are essentially amplifications of your, your fears, you know, because it's creates an intense fear. So it's, it's amplified by other factors. You know, your mind is a very powerful thing. I think I've mentioned that enough times that you can control things and like with your memories, I mean, there's even, you know, this kind of a sidebar, but there's even been proof that you could use hypnotism and hypnotism could work to actually help you get over something. You know, it's been used in the past to help people get over smoking or help them stop smoking. So, you know, hypnotists could work. I mean, but that's not necessarily a self-help thing unless you know how to self-hypnotize, but then you might end up being a chicken for the rest of your life. So I think if you, if you, if you think of, of the things that you can't control, it's the diet, the exercise, the sleep and reducing stress. Those are probably the big ones, you know? So I'd say give that a shot, you know, that's probably a step in the right direction. Now, I think I'm afraid I don't have much more to say about phobias and I love puns. Now, I wonder what fear of puns, what kind of, what you would call that. I'll have to check on that one. But I, I will say uh, I have acquired a list, secret, top secret list. No, I'm just kidding. It's on the interwebs. Google it. Just find some of your favorite 
favorite phobias out there, but I'm going to go through a list just because it's fun. And the top of that list is acrophobia, which is fear of heights, which I have. At a certain height, I get afraid of heights. It's kind of strange. I can get on a ladder that's, you know, a regular step ladder, no problem. I could change a light bulb. I've I've gotten on a ladder to maybe the second story, uh, a reasonable second story. So maybe that's 20 feet in the air and been fine. You start to go up a little bit more than that and I have problems. Like I can't get back down because I freeze. Now, it's funny because I remember as a kid, we used to climb the the big high tension power lines and behind our house and see who could climb the highest and jump off from the highest point and not die because dying didn't mean winning, but just barely surviving meant you were the coolest kid, you know, broken leg. Cool. Being in a casket, not cool, but we used to climb these high tension wires, uh, not wires, but lines. And there was actually a certain point where I think you could safely climb them, but you know, we'd also climb them and see how high we could go, but you'd start to feel a little tingling. And then you start to feel like, I don't think I should go any higher. Cause I remember I, I climbed up and I climbed up as high as anybody could climb. And, and it, it got a little scary. It was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool view from up there, but it was kind of scary. And, and I told you the story about, you know, trying to touch the power lines and I wasn't the one on the ladder there because I couldn't, I couldn't climb that without feeling scared because it didn't, it wouldn't feel secure. Like if it's a, if it's a ladder, like a step ladder, you know, it's in the shape of a triangle or an an A shape, right? It's got, it's got the, uh, the, the, the legs equally spread out and distributing the weight. That's what I'm trying to say it distributes the weight evenly and it feels sturdy you know but then you take a step ladder and you put it on the side of a hill it's a little less sturdy and then i start to feel a little woozy when i'm climbing towards the top of it like i had to do some power washing uh, a couple weeks ago i had to power wash my house and i was trying to position the ladder in a way where i could get the maximum reach and the the one of the feet of the ladder started to sink in the ground and I wasn't falling and I really, I really wasn't in danger of falling, but I had that sensation that scared the crap out of me to make me think I might be falling. So I had to climb down and reposition the ladder. I think most people would probably feel that way though. Anyways, I'm not going to stop and pause and and give my background stories on all these. So I'm just going to kind of go through, let's see, um, agoraphobia talked about that one, fear crowds, uh, Alurophobia, so A-I-L-U-R-O phobia, fear of cats. I don't think anyone has that. Not anyone that uses the internet, at least, because everybody loves cats. I get the impression. Otherwise, why the heck would there be so many cats on the internet? Let's see. Algophoria, uh, algophobia, fear of pain. I think a lot of people fear pain, especially when you've got this, you know, hammer kind of coming down as your friend is trying to nail a a nail while you're holding the nail you're going to have a fear of pain but you know we're talking about having an intense irrational fear so somebody might really not even do anything because they're afraid they're going to get hurt you know uh let's see anglophobia and i thought this was funny because this is a fear of anything english and 
you know, that, that could have been more 17th century feelings, you know, when England was, was big, bad redcoats and, you know, suppressing America and America decided to do what it did and break away from England. So there might've been a lot of Anglophobia then. Aquaphobia, afraid of water, arachnophobia, fear of spiders, aviophobia, fear of a fear of flying in an airplane. All those, I think, common. Uh, ballistophobia, which is a fear of missiles, bullets, or being shot. And I could understand ballistophobia being a, a fear of missiles when you're living during the Cold War and there's, you know, you're having air raid drills or or nuclear bomb drills and you gotta go you know under your desks which really wouldn't do nothing for a nuclear bomb but whatever you know if that's where you want to leave your everlasting shadow on the ground then you'll be under a desk but but that was what they told people which is just crazy so that could be understandable people would have a crazy fear because that's all people talked about is you know a nuclear bomb going off and they they had a have drills to prepare for that so that that could be scary as as you know what so moving on bibliophobia a fear of books or mistrust as is put in parentheses i i think it's kind of uh, why would you be afraid of books but you know people can be afraid of anything again there could be punophobia i'm gonna say if that's not a term i'm saying that's the term punophobia if you're afraid of puns or or Derek punophobia because you're afraid of Derek's puns or you just don't like them. Either way, it's irrational. Let's see. Claustrophobia. I think people have heard of that one, fear of being enclosed spaces. I think there is a certain point where I do get a little claustrophobic if things are a little too tightly packed around me in an elevator and I feel like there's you know no escape. But generally, I'm not, like, really afraid. Like, some people that, that just they won't even get in an elevator because they are that afraid of closed spaces. Also, that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with an airplane. Like, I've heard of people who say they're claustrophobic, so they're actually afraid of flying because of how tightly compacted everybody is on an airplane. So that one makes sense to me. Sinophobia, uh, fear of dogs. A little less crazy to me you know than being afraid of cats but still who who's afraid of dogs now i could i guess i should say that like cats you generally don't think of uh, i'm gonna sneak through this backyard really quick because it's a shortcut oh wait there's a uh angora cat it's gonna bite my head off you know in there so i'm not gonna do it you know but if you think there's a rottweiler then you might avoid it you know so that one i guess that makes sense francophobia fear of the french anything french again i feel like the term was for the times germanophobia which was fear of germany and germans gerontophobia (laughs) so gerontology which is you know basically old means like elderly people or so the study of elderly people I think so, but so gerontophobia is the fear of old people or old age. feels like there should be two different terms because I have a fear of getting old, but I don't have a fear of old people. (laughs) So I don't know. That one 
someone needs to go back to the drawing board. Let's see. Hemophobia, which is a fear of blood. Logophobia. Logo? Oh, logophobia is a fear of words. So I'd, that one just seems a little odd. Um, monophobia, the fear of being alone. That one I think everybody feels occasionally. Because one is the loneliest number. Something, something. Let's see. Necrophobia, which is a fear of death or dead bodies. Yeah, freaky. I mean, I was I was a grave digger, but I never had to deal with the bodies. I, I always dealt with them after the fact when they were in caskets or urns. So, you know, it is a little creepy when you have to go to the, the crypt where the caskets are kept during the winter. And then your grandfather tells you to get a shovel on the way back, but there is no shovel. And he shuts the door and it's pitch black. And you're in there with like 10 coffins. That's messed up. And that's when you develop necrophobia. Nosophobia, severe of disease. Now, I think that one can often come up when all of a sudden the news is talking about Ebola or Zika viruses, you know. So I think that can cause, be caused pretty easily. Nyctophobia, which is fear of night or darkness. Ophidiophobia, Ophidio, Ophidiophobia, trying to get the terms correct that's a fear of snakes i think a lot of people could have that one here's a here's a fun one now this is the fear of friday the 13th and i'm gonna try and say this but para scavadectria phobia para scavadectria look that one up that's a fun one philophobia is a fear of falling in love so that one um, is kind of interesting. And, and I, only, I, I take pause because I, I know of somebody who you know, was kind of afraid to, to get married. And I wonder if that's where that, if that falls in that same category. Because if, you know, is it the fear of falling in love or solidifying the love by getting married or is it are the is that something separate i i just would wonder let's see phobophobia now this one is where a paradox opens up and the world starts to collapse into itself because it's a fear of developing a phobia so think about that one for a minute phobophobia fear of developing a phobia gotta love that Let's see. Photophobia, which is a fear of light. Now, if you ever watch the show Better Call Saul, that's what I think Saul Goodman's brother had, which was the fear of of light. But his fear was a little bit more um, on the edge of fear of electronics to some degree that that they were going to somehow alter his mind. But it, but he kept his house dark. So it was like he was afraid of light, but he was also afraid of any kind of like radio frequency or anything like that. Which, you know, pho- these phobias are are interesting. You can't you can't really you can't really knock it. Like when you start looking into them, you know, you you gotta you gotta look at them with an open mind and and think that there's some reasonable explanations why people 
have these phobias, you know, except for the cat one. That one doesn't make any sense. Let's see. Pyrophobia, fear of fire, and Russophobia. Russo, maybe it's Russophobia, being afraid of anything Russian. Again, term of the times. Sidophobia. This just says aversion to food. Now, sidophobia, which which is kind of interesting, you know, I, like I, I wonder if that could go hand in hand with the other psychological problem, which is anorexia or bulimia, where it's, you know, a disorder related to food. But it's an, another interesting one. Let's see. Taphophobia. Fear of being buried alive. Everybody should have that fear. That is the worst sounding thing in the world. Toxophobia, fear of being poisoned. Uh, let's see. Trixidicophobia. Uh, oh, this is related. It's the fear of the number 13. It's related to that fear of Friday the 13th. So that Trixidicophobia. Yeah. Xenophobia. It's a fear of foreigners, strangers, or things that are foreign or strange. So xenophobia is probably what you heard more because they say, you know, the current president is a xenophobe because of building the border wall and all that stuff about immigration. But xenophobia, I think, falls in, into describing that, you know, people being afraid of, of immigrants. Xylophobia is a fear of forests or wooden objects. I don't know. That, yeah, that one kind of makes me pause. Like xylophobia. Some of these phobias, like they have a sound that kind of sounds like it makes sense, but then some of them, like xylo, like I would think that might be afraid of uh, being afraid of xylophones. But what if you are afraid of xylophones? Then what do you call it? You can't call it xylophobia. Maybe it's xylophonophobia. I don't know. Then you got zoophobia, fear of animals in general. Mm, sounds reasonable. You know, sometimes animals can be jerks, you know, like the rhino. Or the hippopotamus. So that's all I want to say about phobias and fear. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And thank you again for listening to another episode of Finding Your Identity. And until next time, tell people to listen so they don't end up in the compound of non-listeners. Thank you. So you want to hear about Wrinkles? Wrinkles the Clown? I told you I was going to tell you about Wrinkles, and I kept you in suspense. And the episode finished, and you're thinking, wait, who's Wrinkles? I thought he was going to tell me about Wrinkles. Well, I waited, because I wanted you to just listen to the whole episode, you know, and keep you in suspense. But now I shall tell you about Wrinkles the Clown. And some of you may have heard about it because they're making a movie or they're releasing a movie. I should say it's a documentary about this clown named wrinkles who lives in Florida and parents will call him and ask him to come and scare their children who have been bad. And it's a little disturbing because once they call him, they just say, I want you to scare my kid. He's being really bad. And then he says, what's the address? And then they don't hear from him again. And then he just shows up 
in the most bizarre ways. Like the trailer for the movie, if you look up Wrinkles a Clown, he comes slowly out of a trundle bed and he's in a little kid's bedroom and he in the little kid's bedroom happens to have a camera in it and he just slides out and you're just kind of thinking what the heck that is demented and twisted and those are some parents to do something like that but that is the case and then it became folklore and this thing has been around this story of him has been around for years and i I guess he finally kind of came forward to talk about it. And I don't know if he actually re- reveals his true identity, but nobody even knew who Wrinkles the Clown was. And remember, I said this was, uh, there's a phobia that people have about clowns. Colrophobia, C-O-U-L-R-O, phobia, uh, P-H-O-B-I-A, just in case you didn't know how to spell phobia. And Google Google was not working. That's just the kind of crazy stuff that goes on in the world. And, you know, apparently this dude became really popular and his phone's always blowing up and he gets hundreds of messages. And sometimes kids just call him because they dare each other to just call the phone number. And then he says, hey, this is Wrinkles the Clown. Clown. Wrinkles the Clown. I'm going to get you. I don't know what his voicemail is. I haven't called, but it fascinated me. And it was related to clown phobias so i figured i'd share that and hopefully if you're you know not afraid of clowns you find that interesting otherwise you're crapping your pants all right that was uh that's it that's all, all i have to say about wrinkles which is just makes it even crazier makes me think of uh snuggles snuggles the the something bear what was he for some kind of bear for the laundry uh, commercials, Snuggles, I think. Yeah. I have a friend who's afraid of Snuggles, and it's hilarious. People are afraid of a lot of things, and that's why phobias exist. All right. That's it. <laughs>